bed and I stumble to the kitchen Pour myself a cup of ambition And yawn and stretch and try to come to life Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping Out on the streets the traffic starts jumping With folks like me on the job from nine to five Working nine to Dilemma. We tackle the often uniquely, but not always, feel the ultimate dilemma of managing life, work, family, and self. I'm Maura Carlin. And I'm Christy Derrico. We're reaching out to women and men to hear their balance stories, what worked, what didn't, and what <laughs> takeaways they have to help improve our lives and achieve balance. Our guest today, Tony Cortese, managed a full career on Wall Street while raising a family before pivoting to a new endeavor. Whether you think of The Wolf of Wall Street or I Don't Know How She Does It, both movies and books, the reality is a lot more interesting, complex, and nuanced. Our guest is Tony Cortese. Thank you, Tony, for joining us. Hi, thank you. I loved your, your intro music. It got me in the mood. Thank you. <laughs> Well, I think we had a bit of a snow day glitch. It went a little longer. We were we were chair dancing. But, uh, Tony, I'm so glad you were able to join us today. And, you know, we, we'd love to hear, tell us a little bit. We understand you spent what could have been an entire career, 25 years, working in finance on Wall Street, uh, successfully achieving this balance with a, a career and family. And we'd like to hear a little bit about your story. But, I, Christy, I just what I really want her to start with is um, the story really begins well before the career, because I and I think you, too, Christy, were struck by how one person really actually changed the course of your life. So tell us about what happened in high school and then college. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in a, a very strict Italian home, a very patriarchal environment. You know, women are meant to. Uh, clean and cook, raise children, all very important jobs. Um, but, you know, having a career is certainly not on that radar. Um, I mean, my parents did consider going to college, but it had to be like a local two-year associate's degree. Like my sister got a secretarial degree. Um, I wanted something very different. Um, I was really, really, really fortunate to have a high school teacher, Mark Lewis, um, who's recently passed away passed a few months ago, um, changed my life. Um, I remember the day um, I walked into homeroom and he asked me how I did on my PSATs and I said uh, I didn't take the PSATs. He said why not because I'm not going to college. You know he was he took this he took it upon himself to himself to make sure that um, that I would go to college he, um, and away to college uh, and a good college. So you know he called my father a number of times and tried to talk him into um, uh, sending me away, and my father would hang up the phone on him, really, you know, really angry that, um, you know, how, how could this person be telling me how to raise my daughter? Um, you know, you're not supposed to sleep out of the home when you're raised uh, in a strict Italian home until you get married. So, I mean, I didn't even have sleepovers as a kid. Um, even in high school, I wasn't allowed to stay out. But, um, you know, uh, my teacher came and, and he actually knocked on the door once, rang the doorbell. And um, I remember, like, shaking, being so nervous about that encounter. And uh, my father, you know, closed the door in his face. Um, so, so how but, did this um, teacher get you to apply to college and actually go? Yeah. Yeah. So he, but he took it upon himself to apply um, to college on my behalf. He and the uh, college advisor. And they got me a full scholarship um, for the first year. 
And um, when they broke the news to me, uh, I was terrified because I wasn't planning on going to college and I'd have to tell my father. And it was uh, quite nerve-wracking. And um, I didn't tell my parents um, until just... A, it's a long story, but to, to, to cut it short, um, until a few days before I was leaving, um, uh, and they still didn't want me to go. And I had every I had planned to leave my house at four in the morning to take the subway into the city uh, to Port Authority, and then take a bus upstate. Um, and um, you know, it's nineteen eighty, and subway systems never mind four o'clock in the morning weren't exactly the safest. That was great. <laughs> Oh, Big risk on my right. part, right? And um, so, but that morning I woke up and tried really, really to be quiet as I could going down the stairs. And there's a creak in the stairs. My father yells out, where are you going? And you I were really ran trying down the to stairs sneak. and out of I'm the sorry, house because Tony. I was like, he's going to stop me from going. You, know? you were really um, trying wow. to sneak out of the house to go to college. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And wow. that, that's a first. You know, <laughs> I know. I, I literally run out of the house, and I heard the back door slam, and I see him fully clothed. He ran behind me, fully clothed, and I was shocked, you know. And he said, get in the car. I'm driving you there. And, uh, you know, I didn't know what to think. I didn't know if he was he – he always threatened to send me to a convent. So <laughs> I was like, is he going to take me to a convent? Or, but he did. He took me to college. Um, he took me to Binghamton, and um, – you know, he said, if you're really serious about this, which is bizarre because I was like a straight-A student, you know, if you're really serious about this, then I will um, I will pay for your college. If you if you have straight-A's, I'll pay for it. So I understand that you've actually set up a scholarship in the name of, was it Mark Lewis, yes. the teacher who got you into school? This entire experience, I mean, did it teach you anything about mentorship or paying it forward? Oh, 100%. I mean, and then some... Um, yeah, so the scholarship, we're in the process of setting it up, and we are doing it in Mark Lewis's name. Uh, his daughter and I are setting it up, and, um, yeah, and we, we're going to give a scholarship to uh, the child of an immigrant family um, to help them go to college. Um, but did it teach me? Oh, boy, did it. I mean, that's my, my mantra, actually, is pay it forward. Um, yes, mentoring, and, in fact, what I do now is coaching, um, I, Another I form of mentoring. That's where it stemmed from. Yeah. So, how did right. you find your way into finance and Wall Street? Um, it was actually by accident. I started out. Um, I graduated um, like in international relations, and I started working in import export. And um, um, I had this really nasty boss who once got these three big boxes in the mail, and it was actually a PC. So, this is what 1984. Uh, the PC, he's like, you're the college graduate, and he throws this big textbook at me, which was like how to put together a PC, and I literally had floppy disks of loading DOS onto, uh, to boot up the, the rest of the system, but I mean, really, really, really early days of, of, of PCs, and um, so I started out in technology, I, I loved it, I, they, I thought the PC was just magic, and um, I taught, so it was all self-taught. I wound up automating the office. I wound up becoming um, a business analyst for um, U.S. Customs, and I traveled a lot internationally um, until my daughter was born. And then the travel was just too much for me. So I I started um, my own training company. I taught computer software, 
um, in different corporations. And one of those corporations happened to be the investment bank I wound up spending 25 years in. Uh, so that's how I wound up there. I axed it. Um, wow. You, you know, yeah. Tony, just to add some levity, do you know how many people thought the uh, floppy di- drive disc was uh, was a coffee cup holder? So, um <laughs> <laughs> kids oh, don't God. even know what that is anymore. They, they have the no, they don't. They don't. No. So oh, you get into the three finance. Half inch disc. Right. I, I, I know it was it was prehistoric times for the computer world. So you, you get into finance and, and tell us how did you, how did that opportunity come to you to, to go from a self taught techie uh, into uh, the finance world? Well, I, you know. I, I, a lot of it, I think I'm just a really curious person, um, and I love to learn. I love, love, love to learn. And so when I started doing training there, um, I wound up learning all the different computer systems within the in the in the company. So trading systems, investment banking systems, compliance systems, HR systems. And hold systems that thought. Really We're going to be right back after yep. the, com- the commercial break. Welcome back. This is The Balanced Dilemma. We're talking to Tony Cortese. We're talking about working and balancing life on Wall Street. Christy? Hey, Tony. So we were talking about how you got into the world of finance, which was the vehicle that you uh, used was through technology, which was a new industry in the 80s. And it sounded like you really uh, had an, a new opportunity in, in the business world. The one thing we focus on, um, there's a book we've talked about a lot, I Don't Know How She Does It, which deals with a Wall Street exec, and uh, the, the life sounds very difficult. And one thing we wanted to know is, tell us about being on Wall Street, and now that you sit back, you know, 25 plus years after having worked there, how was it for women in that industry? Um. It was, uh, in hindsight, um, really bizarre. Um, it was normal at the time, but, um, you know, being on a trading floor, it was not unusual for a guy to slap your ass or, or pinch your ass. Um, and most, well, I shouldn't say most, but many men had Playboy calendars on their desks. There were strippers that came in, uh, at least on Fridays at lunchtime, um, uh, that was that was the environment. That was the norm. You know, I, I'm going to come wow. back to that book. I don't know how she does it. I don't know if you're familiar with it, um, Tony. But there's no, a, I haven't read it. The opening scene was where the heroine was damaging store bought store bought pies to make them look homemade to bring them into a school event. <laughs> Is that something <laughs> you could relate to? <laughs> I'm sorry. What was the question? Is that something you could relate to? Uh, yeah, in the sense that, um, you know, you had to figure out a way to, to juggle the two, the two things. Like I, I managed, um, I managed to teach at my kid's school. I I speak French and Italian. So I taught, you know, like for a couple of hours in in their classes and I think it was kindergarten, first grade, um, for a number of years. Um, cause I, and I want to be class mom once a month, you know, I didn't want to miss any of that. I loved you know so um i stayed a contractor for um so my kids were probably 10 or 11 years old my oldest 
um, just so that I could have the flexibility. I didn't get paid for it. When I wasn't there, I didn't get paid, but I, you know, and I didn't accrue any pension for that time, um, which kind of, you know, sucked down the line, quite frankly. But, um, you know, I, I don't regret one bit of it. I had to do that. Well, that kind of yeah, right. leads into a talk about hours because, I mean, I'll be honest, I actually cringe a little at our show music because, like, no one works nine to five anymore. No, no. Um, and that's pretty much a half day in the world of finance, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, most people easily work 10-hour days, right, and um, early. And, and, you know, it depends on what part of the business you True. work in, right? If, you know, so um, I was in technology supporting trading floors and um, investment bankers, um, trading floors, you know, everyone's in by 7 o'clock to get ready for market open. And um, and on the banking side, investment banking side, it's called the origination side of the business, they work weekends. They're making deals. They're, they're doing the M&A deals with someone. They're, they work all weekend. They're working until, you know, well into the late, you know, um, late at night. So, I mean, for me, my job was often 24-7. And then when I became the global head, then, I mean, I had... You know, people calling me in the middle of the night if there were servers down in Singapore or, you know, Japan for market open. I mean, it was it was uh, it was hard. Wow. It was hard. So, yeah. you know, it's interesting. We've had a lot of conversations preparing for this show that we've been so excited for. And one of the things we talked about was uh, you, you exposed me to Sally Krawcheck, who's uh, gotten a lot of press recently with her uh, company. And she's hitting upon a lot of the topics we discuss, uh, women in finance. But I think found this article uh, where she was interviewed by Teen Vogue, and she, it really was a day in the life of a finance woman, and it starts off with her saying her wake-up time is 5.15 in the morning, and she runs through her day, which is a long day, and I was thinking about this as, here's a story to teenage girls showing this is what your future is going to be, and um, you know, I, I found it very interesting, and it's not different than what you're describing. She also went on to say that in another interview on Second Life, when she was asked about balance, uh, Sally said she didn't care for balance, and she thought her life was unbalanced. unbalanced. And uh, touching upon some of the things that we've said here, you know, whether you just distress a, a store-bought pie, whether you care about that. And for you, it was finding time to uh, be in your children's school, even though it was uncompensated, but it, it had a value to you in another way. So um, it, it's interesting to look at this as a, a role model and, and what young women, is that the field that they're going to want to go into if they really see how, how that industry works, you know? Yeah, I, I have to tell you, my personal opinion, I work with a lot of millennials, um, you know, and when I, by the time I left uh, Wall Street, um, I mean, I still work with many people on Wall Street, but in the capacity of working for that company, um, there were about about 60% of the population was already millennial. Um, and so I think, um, and they are well more aware of life. Uh, you know, work-life balance than I think my generation was absolutely. Um, and not just my daughter and her children, but all the professional women I work with, they are very focused on that. So I'm really, really curious to see how banking's already dramatically changed with millennials. Um, you know, um, you, you probably know this in the sense that, you know, the corporations pretty much dictated um, what, you know what employees get, but now the tables have turned, and and, employ, and employers are really trying hard to retain millennials. Right? I don't know if you 
if you know this trend, but it's really fascinating to watch. They are really focused on work-life balance. Their um, employers are now paying for um, freezing women's eggs. Um, yeah. I know, I, you know, I know a number of companies that do that. So I'm, I am so curious to, to watch how this work-life balance um, works on work, Wall Street with millennials uh, taking the lead on that as leaders. But right. I can tell you, as of now, there, it's still not much of a change. No, it's Very not. Very hard for people taking paternity leave, for example, not really happening. And it's still a boys club. And Tony, what I'm going to do is, as we usually do during the show, we give off some statistics. So as I said, it is still a boys club. And all of the top banks, at least as of 2019, were run by men. In January of 2019, Citi released data about its own company that its women employees are not represented proportionally in the senior leadership. And in fact, that women employees earn 29% less than their male employees worldwide. And that's an internal study. Um, A study by Catalyst in 2019 showed that less than 22% of senior leadership roles in finance were held by women. And higher up the ladder, there are fewer and fewer women, even though there are about 50% at the entry levels. And again, uh, in 2018, a study by CNBC and LinkedIn confirmed that uh, the lack of women and that men and women don't see it all equally. And one example is that, well, men and women agreed that women were promoted. Maura, we're going to get back to the stats after this commercial. to The Balanced Dilemma. Our guest today is Tony Cortez, and we're talking about working on Wall Street. Before our break, um, we were going over some statistics, and the last was a a study between CNBC and LinkedIn, uh, where men and women both agreed that the women are promoted more slowly than men, and that's also been shown during a pandemic survey that three times more men were promoted than women during this time frame. Women also in the study saw more pay discrepancy and bias against them. Um, men didn't quite see it as much as they did. Uh, 40% of women think there's equal pay, whereas two-thirds of the men did. Tony, I wanted to talk to you about bias, both explicit and implicit. Um, what did you see? Well, I want to talk about it in two different ways. And the one thing is that, you know, I think about the construct of a, of a corporation is really a male construct, right? It's created by men. The way we, as human beings, as women, are rated in, in corporations are against male standards, right? And I give you one of an example. I once got this feedback, um, and uh, from a male manager. Um, I only had one female manager my entire time, um, my entire twenty-five year career there. But um, said to me, you know, Tony, I know you have, I know you have strong opinions, but when you go into a meeting and you're running a meeting. You will start the meeting and you will ask for people's opinion around the table, you know, and not state your own until you hear everyone else's opinion. And I said, well, yes, I'm not going in there assuming my opinion is the right opinion. I want to hear what other people have to say and then we'll come to an agreement, right? So that was held against me, right, as opposed to, you know, how would a male handle it, how he said I should handle it. You go in there and you say, this is how we're going to do it. And I'm like, no. That's not how I want to do it, right? So, like all these, you know, these these by all these standards are against male characters. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, I know it. No, I, it does. It, it's like you, when you, if you think, I, I again go back to what I heard, learned in world history as a, a child, but we we learned about fields of influence. And if you might recall, there was the domestic sphere, and that was a very female sphere. And then male spheres were industry spheres, and uh, women were in that one zone doing it their own way. And now things have changed, you know? Yeah. What about yeah, things? It, like yeah. bro talk, you know, on the floor. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you clearly knew what I was talking about. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Why don't you explain you know, that and, and how it affects women who are there? Well. Do you tune it you out? Know, the, the, or um, well, do you file course, it somewhere? You know, about like 80s versus the 90s. You know, then it was you had to be one of the boys, right? Um, you know, to be, you, you know. To, to, you had to be one of the boys in order to get along, just to get through your day. Um, today, it's a lot. It's way, 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 way tam- tamer. As you mentioned, you know, it's you know, yeah, people aren't called out for doing such crazy things anymore. Extreme things like um, um, I remember the first time that one of our desk heads got fired because he said something inappropriate to a woman. That was only like two thousand four, maybe two thousand five. But, I mean, that doesn't, you don't see that anymore. But what you see is the, the, the unconscious bias, the, um, um, and behind the scenes talk, right? That, um, that's not brought forth. Like and, what? Um, I'm sorry. Like what? Give me an example of that behind the scenes talk. Um, well, yeah. Okay, I'll give you an example. Uh, and this wasn't very long ago. Um, well, what is, you know, why, Tony? a bunch of men in the room and I'm usually the only female, you know, I don't understand why that woman, you know, she doesn't just dress so feminine, you know, she dresses like she's like a guy, you know, like, uh, I'm like, Oh my God, (laughs) is this conversation really happening? You know, they, you know, if you're considered one of the guys that they'll, they'll talk to you like you're one of the guys. So I know this stuff goes on whether I'm there or not. Right. Um, you know, that, that's it. So this is unconscious bias that we're discussing and, I do recall being told once I couldn't get a certain haircut by a uh, hairdresser because it wasn't appropriate for an attorney. So you're talking about, you know, we're assessed by the way we dress, and that's a bias. So let me just share a couple of things I faced as a lawyer that have always stood out, which is that I don't think that there is a man I worked with or for that didn't call me honey or put their hands on my shoulders at some point. And I will tell you off the bat, I never took it as sexual harassment or anything like that. Right. It wasn't. Right. But it did make me wonder, are they looking at me differently? I mean, listen, I yeah. had one opponent. When I went to shake his hand, he took mine and kissed it. So, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, does yeah, it show I, what they think of us on some other yeah, level? You know what? But what I really, I see there's a big problem here. I think we're at a really interesting crossroads. You know, I was definitely sexually harassed i was uh raised my hand me too um you know like pinned against the wall like seriously you know um sexually harassed by old bosses that's plural um but what's happened now is that um it's kind of working against women um you know we've, we've swung too far the other way i mean i know i have senior senior clients of mine at a male that are a that, you know, I'm a coach, so I hear this stuff confidentially, that they are afraid to 
do what they would do with guys. Like, hey, let's go out and get a beer or let's go grab a coffee, let's go to Starbucks or, um, you know, they're afraid to do that because they're afraid, you know, what if she accuses me of something that I didn't do? So it's actually working against women now and it's really an interesting crossroads, you know. I think, so I have very strong opinion on, on this is that I think what, what we need to do is educate men and tr- things like training really doesn't work. Men, you know, they roll their eyes when they hear that. But we have to call stuff out in, in a polite, kind way and educate men. You know, I have this one situation that happened to me not too long ago. I, I walked into in, in a colleague's office and I got the scan, you know, the eyes up and down, up and down. And at my age, I'm flattered. I get that, right? But... <laughs> You know, right. I knew him. I knew him well enough to say, "Hey, so and so, I, you know, please don't take this the wrong way. But if I've got to be the one to tell you this, I'm like, I know you. You are, you know, you, you're very fair, and this is going to really kill you when I tell you. But you know, you do the scan when women walk in, and he's like, "What's the scan?" And I tell him, and he was uh-huh. mortified, mortified. I said, "Do you know what this makes me feel like when I when you, when I walk in, and what especially a junior women feel like?" He was mortified. But, you know, this is an animal instinct. If we do not teach men in a kind edu- in, a, in a kind way, I'm not sure anything's going to change. But, you know, I, I just want to look at this on the flip side also with what we're discussing. Um, you, you honed a lot of skills that contributed to your success by working in this intense industry that you survived in. And yeah. would you agree that there, there were a lot of positives that you got out of this this tough environment that, that oh, you, I loved you know, stayed afloat yeah. in? A hundred percent. I loved it. If you want a career where you are uh, really challenged, and I'm not saying this is the only career this happens in, but that you are working with smart, smart people, you've got to be at your best all the time. It's a great industry. If you love to learn, um, it's a great industry. Wall Street is all about making money. Is that the measure of success? And do you think that should be the measure of success for all of us? Mm-hmm. Uh, again, it, it depends upon it depends on what area on Wall Street you work on. People seem uh, tend to think only of like well, traders and uh, um, trading and sales, uh, the transactional stuff. Uh, but that's that's only one piece of the investment bank. Um, are they measured by performance? Yes. Are they only measured by performance? No, not anymore. Um, I, there's, I yeah. meant it more in terms of your pay, what you take home. I'm sorry, can you rephrase that question? Sure. Okay. I mean, um, do you look at the measuring of your own success by how much money oh. you you make? Oh, no, definitely oh, not. Good question. Definitely not. Um, I would say most people I knew on Wall Street don't. I think there is a, a great understanding that we are helping people make money. Um, uh, you know, we're helping the teachers' pension funds. We're helping, you know, a lot of pension funds. We're, we're Tony, we're going to have money. to take a break right now. And when we come back, okay. we're actually going to talk about your pivot to coaching. Stay okay, with us. Great. Thank you. to The Balanced Dilemma. Our guest is Tony Cortese. Christy, go ahead. Yes, thanks, Maura. So, Tony, you know, going back to uh, what we were talking about before the break, and Wall Street isn't all negative. 
And one big deficit for women is understanding finance and their own money, and they need that to take care of themselves. In fact, the company that was be- began recently by Sally Krawcheck, Elevate, specifically focuses on a, it's a platform specifically designed to help women. So looking at this industry you went in, this is not an area where women aren't learning skills. They're actually developing skills that can really help them take care of themselves, correct? Yes. That's correct. Um, But it's not enough. Um, Women who are in the financial and who are in sales and trading know how to do that more. But most of the company is made up by people in, you know, support functions, and they are not exposed to that. So I think a company like Elevest, Elevate is the social network part of Sally Krawcheck's company, but Elevest is the company that um, is working to educate women um, in finance uh, about financial matters, I think is is really an excellent, excellent initiative. We need a lot more of that. Yeah, I love that. That's a really good point. And, and we've addressed that, what we tell our daughters, what we tell our sons, and, and we can't we can't do enough. But let, then let's go on to what is a really interesting uh, aspect of your life, and that's, that's your pivot. Um, so mm-hmm. tell us about your company and uh, what you've been doing with that, uh, Force 9 Coaching, and w- what you're doing today. Yeah, it's a, it was a complete uh, pivot. Um, uh, I am I'm a leadership coach. I work with both private clients and corporate clients to help them um, learn, um, lead from a, um, from, from a, I call it from greatness of character, from their best self. Um, and because uh, when you, when you, Power, success is really powered um, from the ability to lead from your center, if that makes sense to you. Um, and um, I work with uh, clients at doing anything from how do I you know, generate more sales revenue to how do I become a better mother. Um, it's, it's a wide range. It always kind of boils down to the same thing. Is how do you access your best self? How do you stop these self-limiting beliefs? These, I call them inner critics, these saboteurs in your mind that stop you from taking really good risks. That's the core of what I work on. So and I Tony, love, love, love not, what I do. Yeah. I, not a lot of people know what the coaching model is. And, you know, I, I know about it from some friends of mine using coaches in a, a different, uh, all different aspects. So tell us, how did you come to go into this industry? And tell us a little bit more about what a coach could do for someone they're working with. Yeah, so um, I my last I left technology um, and I moved into another part of the bank strategy. And one of my what I found myself was gravitating to people projects. And uh, a colleague of mine and I started this uh, interesting um, new um, initiative where clients where people can come talk to us about anything um, that they wanted to. And um, I kind of did this at these uh, off the side of my desk and it wound up becoming my full-time job. Um, and then um, it, it, I found that I, I loved helping people solve um, their problems within corporations. You know, they are tough, tough places to work, and um, people need help with their emotional health. Um, so I started buying books, and uh, I had been coached. I've been a complete life-changing um, event in my life, and I wanted to do the same thing. I wanted to pass it forward. I wanted to help people learn how to overcome those um, 
those hard those hard moments um, and help people see work as a place to grow as it's like a playground for growth right where else do you can you have to, you know you're constantly exposed to problems your um, problems with others getting along with others or influencing others to um, you know not being nervous to make a presentation over and over and over again in corporations in your day-to-day life there's struggles but these struggles are amazing opportunities to grow. And um, I started recognizing that this is my lane. This is what I should be doing for a living because I can help. And I, and I do help people do this. Um, yeah. Does that answer well, the question? It, yeah, absolutely. And it's pretty interesting. Think of where this whole field has come from, from Tony Robbins having infomercials and uh, <laughs> things on uh, yeah. late-night television. Yeah to actually admitting and people analyzing aspects of themselves, uh, utilizing creative visualization to achieve higher levels of success. Uh, emotional intelligence is a phrase that's uh, bantered around. Yeah. Uh, you know, Harvard Business School has complete think tanks on these subjects, and it's all with the goal of individual and corporate improvement yeah. and overall success. So it's pretty interesting. Yeah. And there's, a, there's a ton of science supporting this now. Um, in, in 2007, a new generation of MRI machines came out, and neuroscientists had field day. And they are discovering so much about what ha- happens, like when you think a negative thought um, and how you can actually reprogram your brain to make it positive. It really works. I am a, you know, uh, I am a practitioner. I know this stuff works. I've been through many tough times in my life. Divorce and, and uh, just being in a big corporation is, uh, could be traumatic. You know, it's, it's, there are tough times. So, Tony, and, you, um, you still coach. You, you, while you've left Wall Street, you're still in Wall Street because you're coaching a lot of people on Wall Street. So right. as a coach, are you finding women and, in fact, men, parents, struggling to find work-life balance? Yes. And- 100% yes. The only place I'm not seeing that, and I do a lot of work for tech companies, by the way. I've done work at Google. I've done a bunch of uh, mid-sized tech companies in New York, uh, New York City. Um in those companies, there's a much more, there's a lot more focus on work-life balance. They work crazy hours as well. Make no mistake about that. The Facebooks and and um, you know Google, they work long, long hours. But the difference is, it is completely okay to take four hours off to spend time with your child, or you know, it's, it's much more flexible. But they, yeah, uh, I, but it, it's. It's a, it's a topic everywhere. So yeah. do you have any I, special, I don't want to call them secrets, but um, mm-hmm. ways to find balance? Yeah, I think I think what works best is to look at balance as not a, you know, um, to look at it in an overarching way, right? So how did I do with balance this past six months? As opposed to, you know, today I need to I need to make a choice that I need to finish this project all hands on deck. I have to do it. I I know I have to sacrifice spending some time with my kids today, but I got them covered. I got the support. I'm diving into this. The next day it might be nope. It's my kids' play. I you know I'm stopping work. Has to stop at four o'clock today so I can make it there and see their play. You know, it's it's day to day. It, it changes, but overall it becomes balanced. It's not a single day balance. I mean, I think that doesn't work. I actually, you know, it's a slight pivot, but there's you have a story about where you actually had to stand up and say, 
I need you to provide this for me while we're working this hard because I need to see my children. Can you share that story with us? Yeah. Yeah. So our bank, uh, it's a credit crisis, um, 2008, October 2008, and um, we acquired Lehman Brothers. And it was a Herculean task that had to be done um, in six days to bring on all the Lehman folks to, so that we can start trading day one. Um, and we calculated it later on. It, it actually would have taken us a normal time, four and a half months. So it's six days. Um, so, you know, of course, moving to, to the hotel across the street, all hands, you know, hire people, bring people in from all over the world to, to have the SWAT team to get this work done. Um, but I, when I spoke to my manager, I said, I'm, I'm all in. I'm excited about this. This is an amazing opportunity, but I will not not see my children. Um, and he said, what do you need? I said, I need a car to go pick them up. I live in Brooklyn. Do I need a car to pick them up in Brooklyn with my babysitter? Bring them here. Um, have them sit with me, you know, for a couple hours. We eat together. I check their homework. If they have a test, I test them. And then a car to bring them back every day. He said, you got it. That's um, what a great, that, what a, what a great yeah, lesson. Really, I want to point out to everyone. <laughs> I want to point it to, out to everyone that this is our last show of 2020. I can't say anyone's really sad to see this year go, but we will be back on yeah. January 7th. Our guest is the fabulous Leslie Joselle. She's the founder of Order Out of Chaos, and you'll hear all about that. But she's a local mom who developed an international business out of what was originally a need for her own family. It's a great story of a mompreneur also finding her calling. So we hope you'll join us then. That's January 7th at 2 p.m. here on WVOX. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. Thank you. Thank you. And a happy and merry everything to everyone. (laughs) 